south of Florida on I-95, you've seen it somewhere along the line. I don't know. That's not working? Okay. Every other Sunday it all works, but not today, of course. We'll start over. All right, now it's working. Okay, so if you've been on I-95, north or south, you've seen Pedro's signs. The truth of the matter is, 26 years ago, the first year I was a pastor at Garden Chapel, somebody left us use their condo down in Florida. So I took a carload of four little kids and my wife, and we headed for Florida. Two days down, two days back, and I'm telling you what, the behinds of the parents and the little kids get real tired. On the way down, we were seeing, start seeing these signs, and they're, they're kind of obnoxious, but at the same time, you can't ignore them. And so we started making a game out of it. We'd see who could see it first, and we'd laugh about the joke that Pedro was trying to make or whatever else. And so on the way back, uh, we, we saw all these signs, and uh, we just looked at them, and uh, we talked about them. And Pedro, of course, he wants his business, your business. It, one of the other ones, I don't have it here. It says, keep America green, spend your money at Pedro's, you know, those kinds of things. So we're going down and we kind of got used to it. You, you kept looking for the signs, but, and then coming back, we saw them again and we were just kind of fans of it because it got to be a game in our car. Well, on the way back, about right south of the North Carolina border, our children were about the end of a day, and we decided, okay, Pedro's got our attention, we're going to stop. Now, I'm not going to tell you it's a great restaurant, I'm not going to tell you it's a great hotel, but you know what? I was not just a fan of Pedro's, I actually was a participant in there. We actually spent money there. They had a pool, the kids could get out and go swimming, and uh, so we participated. We became a part of it. It's a little bit like Andre was saying earlier, uh, the series coming up. Um, I thought that was the best one. That's why I put it in there. And then, of course, big old Pedro. Well, today, I'd like to tell, deal with something else. Most of us, in fact, as I would say, everyone in the world is religious. I don't care if you think you're an atheist or agnostic today. You have something you focus on. In fact, is atheists and humanists have a God also, except that God is the one they stand on every morning. And when they look in the mirror, they see their God staring back at them because that's their focus themselves. But the truth of the matter is many people, including myself, most of my life, uh, Church was the focus because that's what we were told to do. And I can tell you growing up in our household, it was Sunday morning. It was the morning you had to get up the earliest because you had to have all the barn work done, all the farm work done before you could go to church on Sunday morning. And you never asked dad or mom, are we going to church today? It was, no, it's Sunday morning, you're going to church. So it was never a question of what was actually going to happen. But it wasn't anything real in my life. It was a ritual that we went through. It was a family tradition. A little later, we're going to have a, a tractor pull out here. I can tell you now, if somebody came up to me and said, there's a garden tractor pull next Saturday, but you can't pull in it, I'm not going to go. Because I'm not a fan of tractor pulling. I'm a participant. I 
do something. I do mechanics. I drive the tractor. I interact with the guys. And I get the privilege of actually using it as a ministry. Most people don't get to do that. But I do. It's something that I enjoy doing and I participate in it. For most people in the world, religion is something that is just something they add to their life. But it's not who they are. Today I'd like to show you from the scripture, and we're going to be in John chapter 3 as we look at what God says. You probably are familiar with this passage. Uh, If you've seen anything in the Bible at all, the most famous verse in all the Bible is in this chapter, John 3.16. We will look at that in a few moments. But before that, there is a story. A man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was absolutely a religious man. He was a fan of Jesus. He knew about him. He actually appreciated him. But because he was a religious leader, it says that he was a Pharisee. And he was a ruler of the Jews. A Pharisee was someone who not only tried to do what the Old Testament said, but did it very religiously. They were legalistic. In fact, the Pharisees were so intent on what they believed, and this is wrong, but they added to it. They said, well, this is what God said, and we want to make sure everybody understands it so they would add a few more rules to it. He was also a ruler of the Jews, which means he was one of 70 people in Israel who actually ruled the country, religiously as well as civilly and politically. So he was a very powerful man. But he knew there was one man in Israel that was different than all the rest of the religious leaders. And that was Jesus. He knew about him. He had a curiosity about him. But at the same time, he had a fear. Because if he went and talked to Jesus, he wasn't a part of the elite. He wasn't a part of the inner circle. And if he went, the other guys might get on his case. So at nighttime, he comes to Jesus. And you have it right in front of you here. And I decided to use the the billboard motif for here. But it says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He got it partly right, but he didn't get it right. He said, Rabbi, which is a very honorable greeting to anyone that would have been a teacher. So he recognizes that he teaches like nobody else. The Bible says that he taught not as the scribes and the Pharisees, but as one having authority. Why? Because his life backed up what he said. Lots of religious people say lots of good things. And it doesn't matter what they call themselves. They say a lot of good things. But their lives don't back it up. Sin is a problem. We've sung about that earlier in the service. There's a problem with sin. There's a disconnect of what we say we believe and what we do. And uh, when he comes to him, he says, Rabbi, you're a teacher and you're above the rest of them. The fact is, how do I know that? Because he says, I understand And I recognize and I realize you came from God. Now, he wouldn't have said that about himself or the other 70 that worked with him or the high priest or anyone else. They were just human beings. But he said, this teacher, Jesus, is different than the rest. He said, you came from God. 
That's kind of like a prophet who spoke on behalf of God. But that wasn't Jesus. He didn't get it all right. Because Jesus wasn't just another man and isn't just another man. He is literally God who took on a human body and came and lived among us. I have to tell you, the sacrifice and the real one that forgives our sins was on the cross. But the first sacrifice Jesus did was actually coming from heaven, where everything's perfect, down to this earth where, let's face it, he'd be living with people like me and you. That is not a perfect place to live. Let's face it, you all have families, you all have friends, you know what it's like. This is not a perfect place. We have a lot of problems. And sin is the major issue that comes in between us and God. And he also saw that Jesus did things that no one else can do. Miracles. Things that are not explainable by natural means. Things that took something more than anything we can describe. And he goes on and it goes on and says, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus, being even the intellectual and the spiritual leader that he was, doesn't get it. And he says back to Jesus, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? So he had his mind on the physical things, the things of this earth, the religious things. But Jesus was trying to get him to think differently. Think about spiritual things as opposed to just the religious and the things of this world. But he uses a word, and you've heard the word before. It says, born again. Literally, it could be born from above or a second birth. All of you have a birth. There's no doubt in my mind you have a birth. Why? Because you're sitting here and I can see you. I've been in a hospital operating room four times as my wife gave birth. Now, unfortunately, um, my wife had to have four C-sections. So I was there, and uh, I'm not trying to gross anybody out, but I was there, and being who I am, and this is just who I am, I wasn't one that said, okay, I'm in the room and I have to be. I wanted to see what they were doing. And literally, I saw them take a scalpel and open my wife up and pull the baby out. And then I watched them stitch her back together. I don't know why I do that, but I just want to know what's going on. That's just me. I guess that's my curiosity. But you know what? The moment they pulled that baby out, it's like that's the entrance. And by the way, I absolutely agree and preach and teach life begins at conception. But we don't enter this world until you're born, however you're born. That's the beginning of your life. And that's why you, I can see you and you can talk to me and we can interact. But there's a spiritual birth that is the entrance not to this world, but to heaven. It's a very different. It's one that you can't see. And it can happen at any time. Anytime you're willing to trust Jesus Christ and what he has done for us on the cross... This can happen in your life. It is a real birth, but it's not one you can see. In fact, a physical birth, as I already mentioned, is visible. There's a father and a mother. And it says that we need a birth from water and the Spirit. That's not talking about baptism. That is not even here. But let's face it. Some of you ladies know what I'm talking about. You're in the grocery store. You're about nine months pregnant, and your water breaks. And you get on the cell phone and say... 
John, get here and get me to the hospital now. It's coming. Okay, we all know what birth from water is. That's the natural birth. It takes a mother and father. But there's a spiritual birth that takes our heavenly father through Jesus Christ. It's like the wind. Can you see the wind? The answer is no, you can't see the wind. But what can you see? You can see the effects of the wind. See, anyone that trusts Jesus Christ as their Savior and says, I'm born again, their life should indeed be changed. Something should be different. They should look different than they did before. They should act different than they did before. We need to see that it's not just one birth that we need, but we need two births. In fact, John chapter 3 verse 6 continues this way. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. You can't take a dog and turn it into a cat, and you can't take you and turn you into some other kind of creature. It doesn't work that way. You were born the way you are, that's flesh. But he says there's also a birth that is spiritual, and it is absolutely spiritual. They're not the same, but they have parallels. Then he said to Nicodemus, Don't be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. I can imagine watching Nicodemus as he's talking to Jesus. He came out of curiosity, a little timid, a little fear, because he came at night. He didn't want anybody else to see him. And then Jesus looks at him and said, hey, you must be born again. And I can just see the amazement on his face. Remember, he's talking to one of the elite spiritual and political leaders of Israel. And Jesus is saying, there's something you don't have. There's a birth that you need. Nicodemus didn't understand. And so there's this look of amazement on his face that you could see. And he addresses that and says, you have to be born again. You don't have everything that you should have. I cannot change myself. See, if I could change myself, and if I could say enough prayers, or give enough money, or go to church enough times, or do enough good things, that it would change me on the inside, I could save myself. But the Bible says you can't do that. It's not a possibility. I brought a rope with. I'm not going to lasso anybody or tie anybody up. But a rope is good for a whole lot of things. But you know what? You cannot push a rope. Do you ever try to push a rope? It doesn't work. That's the same as you trying to work your way to heaven. Now, on the other hand, if I already know that I'm born again, I can actually pull the rope and it'll go wherever I want. There's a big difference. One, I'm trying to do something that's impossible. I'm trying to work my way to heaven, work my way into God's favor. He says, not possible. The work's already been done. But once you've trusted Christ, then all of those other things, serving the Lord, singing praises to Him, giving, praying, helping other people, those are all things that should follow. That's the way Christianity works. It's from a relationship, never from ritual, never from what you can do, but what is done already for you. That's what Christ has done for all of us. He says that uh, the wind blows wherever it wishes, but you don't know where it came from or where it is going. So is everybody that's born of the Spirit. When you become a Christian, 
you don't look different than you did before in the physical sense, but you're changed on the inside. Everything changes from the inside out. Physical birth, we've all experienced it. The spiritual birth, this is the one that everyone needs. If you've never trusted Christ, this is the birth you need. One that comes from above, not one that comes from this earth. We need a spiritual change. You say, how does that happen? Well, I'm glad you ask. Because Jesus knew that you would ask that and knew that I would need to give you an answer. So he gave us an answer. It is found in uh, John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man, that's Jesus Christ, be lifted up so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. This is what I call the look and live principle. And I'm going to use my rope again. Because back in Numbers chapter 21, you'll remember if you've read the Bible at all, that the nation of Israel were slaves in Egypt. And you remember Moses went down and he threw his rod down and it turned into a snake. And all the plagues and all that. And finally they said, get out of here. And they they started to leave. Well, you would have thought that that two, three million people that left uh, Egypt would have been the happiest people in the world, right? God is in there in the middle of nowhere, and God is providing everything they need. Manna. They had everything they needed, but they started to grumble and complain against Moses and against God. They go, you brought us out here, and all we have to eat is this manna. And God had it right to here with them, Okay. He just had his fill of them. So what he did is he sent venomous snakes among them. And if you got bit by one of these snakes, it wasn't go to the hospital and get some antidote or pray about it and you'll be okay. You died. You got bit, you're dead. It was a death sentence. This is Numbers chapter 21 in the Old Testament. So now the people that were really groaning, groaning, were groaning, now have something really to groan about. And they went to Moses, Moses, we're dying. And God, Moses went to God and God said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take some bronze. I want you to make it into the shape of a snake. And I want you to take a pole and I want you to set it up in the middle of all those people. Now this had to be fairly large to be able to do this, remember, we're talking about two or three million people camped around here in the middle of the, the desert. So that's exactly what Moses did. They made a bronze serpent, bronze dealing with judgment, the serpent looking at the work that Satan had done as a snake when he first tempted Adam and Eve. He puts it up and he said that anyone that gets bitten, if they look at that bronze serpent, they will live. Now, you could have done anything you wanted. You could have prayed about it. You could have went to the doctor. You could have used all your home remedies. You could have, you could have done anything you wanted. You're still going to die unless you do one thing. So, in the middle of it, there is a pole, got a snake on it, and you would have to go. You got bit. You go where you can see that, and you would look at it, and the very act of looking at it would stop you from dying. That's the look and live principle. Was there any power in that snake? The answer is no. But it was an act of faith. That's exactly how a spiritual birth works. Your physical birth wasn't an act of faith. 
It was an act, but not an act of faith. But a spiritual birth is an act of faith. It is, I'm going to look, not at a serpent on a pole, but I'm going to look to a Savior on a cross. Because when Jesus Christ died on the cross, He wasn't dying because of His own sin. The wages of sin is death. That's true of every person ever born except Jesus Christ. He was perfectly sinless. So he didn't have any sin to die for of his own. But he did take your sin and my sin on himself. In fact, it was so bad that he cried out when he was dying on the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because God the Father couldn't look on Jesus Christ when he was dying for your sin and my sin. The sins of the whole world. He was dying for us. His death was for us. The only way anyone can ever be sure of heaven is by trusting Jesus Christ. Looking to Him, which simply means this. There is nothing else that you can see. Everything else is totally secondary at best. It's a distraction. One of the things that's true, some of you come from Lancaster County and you see the Amish with their horses and buggies all the time. You ever notice the horses have blinders on? The horses can see, but they can only see in front of them. If they want to see to the side, they have to turn. When we look to Jesus, it's looking to Him and Him alone for our salvation. We're not trusting Jesus plus something else. It's Him alone. That's what it means that we need to believe and we will have eternal life. Just like they had to look at the serpent, that's the context, we have to look to Jesus Christ and only then will we have salvation. The next verse is the one that you've probably seen it. They even put it up at ball games and other things. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In the next 10 minutes, I'd just like to take this, if you will follow with me for a few moments yet, and look at exactly what that verse says. It says, there is one who is higher than everyone else. Not simply a higher power. That's the self-help kind of group. You know, I decide what's my higher power. God is the ultimate. There is no one higher than Him. Everything else comes from Him. He's the creator. We're part of the creation. No one higher. So you can't go to a higher authority. You cannot get anyone that's higher up the ladder. And then it says He loved. The whole concept of love simply is this. If I love someone and I demand back, that's not love. That's lust or greed or whatever. I'll do this for you, but you give that back. It's okay in business. Uh, That's what you do. You exchange money for goods or services or whatever it is. Nothing wrong with that. But that's not love. That's business. But God loved us, which simply means this. He did everything for us, presented it there for our use so that we could believe we could have salvation. But he never, never forces us to accept it. Forcing someone to accept it makes it that it's not love. 
So God did whatever He did, whether I respond to Him or not, whether I ever trust Jesus or not, He has already done what He has done through Christ, and it's all taken care of. Then He says, for He loved the world. You might be there, yeah, I know He loved most people, and uh, yeah, some people need love, but you know what, I'm too bad, or He doesn't care about me. That's not what it says. It says the world. That's all-inclusive. If you're alive, you're included. That's the way it is. It doesn't matter if you're at Garden Chapel today or you're on the other side of the world today. It doesn't matter. God sent Jesus Christ. He loves us. And then he says he gave. The whole concept of love at its very core is for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. If you love, it's a giving thing. It's self-sacrificing. It's unilateral. And you take the initiative. If you say, I love somebody because they did you something nice, that's okay. But real love says, even if the other person never did me good at all. In fact is, it says, love your enemies. And that's exactly what Christ did. All of us were separated from God. We're enemies. We're sinners. And he still loved us in spite of who we are. If you're waiting for God to love you till you get your life together, it's never going to happen. Not going to happen with me. It's not going to happen with you because you can't get your life together. Remember the rope? If you get your life together, you could push a rope. But you can't. He has done it for us ahead of time. He gave, what? The greatest gift, the perfect gift, Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son. Only begotten is, there's not a whole sermon about that, but nobody else like Him. There is no one else like Him. Why? Because He's the only one, the only God who took on flesh to come and die for us and live among us. And not only that, but He also showed us how to live on top of that. But the main thing He did was die on the cross for us. He gave us a perfect gift. And then he says, whosoever. See, if the world is all-inclusive, then whosoever is absolutely all-inclusive. Includes every single person ever born. No one is exempt from that. But it continues on. That whosoever believes in him. That's the key. That's what... Everyone needs to do. I told you it's not automatic. If it was automatic, I could take my bicycle and put it in the garage and it would turn into a Harley. It doesn't work that way. You have to believe. It's not something that happens for you. You have to trust. The word trust has to do with yielding to something, surrendering to. As long as you're holding on to something and saying, well, this is making me good enough. This is part of what I need to do to be right with God. You're not believing what God has done. He said, I've done it all. There's nothing you can do to add to it. The price is totally, has been totally paid, period. There's nothing you can add. So when you believe, you're trusting what Jesus Christ has done and nothing else. Of course, it is in a person. When you believe, there's always an object. There's always a focus of your belief. Think about this. When you leave here today, 
you are going to be a very trusting person. Not because of my sermon, but because you get in a car. You're going to trust that the other people are going to stop at the stop sign. Hopefully they do. You're going to trust that they drive on the right side of the road, you know, and, and don't try to run you over. You're going to, you trust a lot. But that's trusting humans. Believe me, they don't always get it right. But when we trust God, we trust Him. He's done a perfect work for us. And it, He never fails us. And then it says we should not perish. Oh, a lot of people don't like this one, but uh, perish has to do with a place we call the lake of fire. Hell. It says the end result of those that do their own thing is they get exactly what they bargained for. They get eternity separated from God because they have no relationship through Jesus Christ. I don't want anybody to go there. In fact, is he makes it clear he doesn't want anybody to perish. That's his will. He wants everyone to trust him. Again, he won't force you to do it. But if you die without Christ, without trusting Christ, that is the end. You might think, well, he's some hell and fire and brimstone preacher. I'm trying not to be. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. The truth is that's what God says. But you go, well, that's pretty scary. But there's a difference, and that is this. We can have everlasting life. That's the good part. That's the good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ has paid it all. There's nothing you can add to it. There's nothing you can do to merit it. But He has given it to us if we will but trust Jesus Christ. There's no other way. That's the bottom line of everything the Bible says. There's a lot more in the Bible. But I thought I'd bring Mr. Pedro back because you could leave here so sad because you missed what's going on. It's simple. We were born sinners. Let's face it, if you don't think that and you, you go, I don't know if I agree with you. Most of you have children or you've known children. Did you ever teach them to hit their sister, to backtalk, to lie, to deceive? No, they were born doing that. Just like you never taught your dog to bark or your cat to scratch the furniture. You didn't do that because that's part of their nature. That's the way we were born. We need a change in nature. We need to. And so if you leave here going, okay, hey, you know what? I like the singing and, uh, you know, Will's a good song leader and Pastor Paul, well, he's sort of interesting. And we laughed a little bit at Andre's jokes about pulling cards. That would be nice. But if you leave here missing the whole point, and that is you could trust Jesus Christ. He died for you. No one else could do it. He's the only unique one. He is the God-man who died in our place. If you've never trusted him, we're going to stand. No, no, we're not going to stand because Peter's coming up here. Uh, We're just going to pray, so we're not going to stand in this case. Otherwise, you'll have to sit back down. Let's just bow our heads and come before the Lord in prayer. Father, you're very clear with us that we need to believe in what Jesus Christ has done. And Lord, I ask without any fanfare that it's not about me, it's not about this church, but it's about what God has done. That anyone that has never trusted Christ, that they'd be willing to consider the claims of Christ, that they would just in the quietness of their seat 
recognize their sin, recognize that only Jesus Christ has died for them, and only He could do that. And that, in the best way they know how, from, with everything that they are, they would ask Jesus Christ to save them, give them that new life, that they would have everlasting life, a life that is so different than this life, a life that is with God for all eternity, with sins forgiven, and just the privilege of being with God forever in heaven. Lord, I pray that you'd work in people's lives. And Lord, if anyone has questions, that they would be willing to ask them before the day is over, of myself or someone else from the church here, that we could take the Word of God and show them in a clearer way how to come to Christ. Lord, thank you so much for the work you do in our lives and what you want to do. In Jesus' name.